0: My name is Art Ellis Green. This morning we've launched a seven-part series entitled Lord, Teach Us to Pray. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to be unpacking the richness and the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. This morning, the person of prayer, the person we pray to, our Father who is in heaven. Our church is all about discipleship. Yesterday we did another Discipleship Experience, bringing the total of about 100 people who have actually experienced that uh, experience. In a week, we'll begin some leadership training. We now have 18 real-life discipleship groups, meaning all through the week, and I want you to be part of one. Most of the groups are aligned with the sermon series, so the way to really take it inside and deeper is being part of a group. So this morning, the prayer begins, Our Father in Heaven. It is a prayer for intimacy with God. I'd like to read you something now that um, speaks to me about intimacy. The experience of intimacy is really knowing and being known by someone. An intimate friend is somebody we feel very close to, they know us at a deep level. If something happens that damages that intimacy, we feel distant from that person. Or if we don't know each other very well at all, we would call that a superficial relationship. What God wants to move us from is from a superficial relationship with Him into a powerful, real, genuine, intimate relationship. So the question becomes, how do we build intimacy with God? I've got two things to begin with. So let's start with the first one, which is Time together, sharing openly and honestly. You know, Jesus built environments where people could be open and honest with Him, just as Jesus was open and honest with His Father. Very early in the morning, Jesus would slip away while it was still dark. He would leave the house and go off to a solitary place, and there he would pray. Very late in the day, Jesus would find his Father in the Mount of Olives. There he would pray to his Father. So prayer, at its very essence, is communication with God. Jesus felt the freedom to be open and honest with God. There have been times in my life, perhaps your life as well, where prayer seems more of a luxury. This current season I'm in, I find prayer to be much more of a necessity. I find myself taking more prayer walks, more time with the Father. Jesus knew the necessity of spending time with His Father, of coming before His Father. That's what God, our Father, wants us to do. He wants us to come before Him. Of pouring out His heart to God, of being honest and real with God, of bringing our needs, the needs of others to God, that's called intercession, of finding His comfort in our earthly troubles, of hearing the Father's voice giving us instructions of what to say in a situation, of what to do in the situation we're in, of where to go. So our Father wants to direct and guide our lives, and He does that through prayer. The second component piece of intimacy is trust. We cannot be intimate with someone we don't trust. Trust is at the heart of an intimate relationship with God. Because the more I trust somebody, the closer we let them get to us, right? I'm the kind of person who trusts pretty freely. If somebody says something to me, I'll do it. I pretty much take them at their words. The problem is they don't do it. And then I feel disappointed. And then inevitably comes distance in the relationship. So I'm learning to say to myself, I'm learning to trust this person, right? God wants us to trust him with our whole hearts. The psalmist said it's good for me to be close to the Lord. And James says, draw near to God, and God himself will draw near to us. It's a promise. So, we're working on this trust relationship with God. So, you ask, what is the secret to drawing near to God? We draw near to God through faith in Christ Jesus, who gives us access to Him. We have this confidence to come before God to receive His mercy and grace in our times of need. In the Old Testament, there was only one person, the priest, who could go into the holy place, and there he would make atonement for the people one day here. But now our high priest, Jesus, has made the atonement on the cross. The atonement has been made. And when he did so, the veil was rent, the curtain was rent, and that holy place from top to bottom, giving us access to God anytime, anywhere. God has not given us a spirit of fear but he's given us a spirit of adoption by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That Jesus would use the term Abba would seem very ordinary to us, but in their day, it was very extraordinary, revolutionary. Because Abba was the term you used to refer to your own dad. When Jesus was growing up to Joseph, his earthly father, he would have called him Abba. But now Jesus, in prayer, called his Father in heaven, Abba, Father. What he was doing was inviting to us this term of endearment to refer to God by. In a very intimate setting, the upper room, John chapter 14, Jesus, very attuned to his disciples, very sensitive to their spirits, could sense they were feeling anxiety. They had felt some shame, some embarrassment, because coming to that upper room, there was a basin of water, and no one washed each other's feet. They took the best positions. They were arguing about who was the greatest. And in that upper room, they had heard that Judas was about to betray Jesus. They had also heard that their leader, Peter, was about to deny him before the cock crowed three times. But most disturbing to the disciples was the fact that Jesus was leaving them, that he was going to the cross. So they were troubled. Anxious foreboding filled their minds. Fear gripped their hearts. And since we are disciples, we must ask the question, is it wrong for Christians to feel troubled like this? Are we expected never to be anxious or fearful or troubled. Many Christians teach this passage here in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me that a Christian should never feel fearful or anxious or troubled. But Jesus said that in this world, you're going to face tribulation. You're going to deal with troubles in this world. In fact, Jesus in his own heart felt troubles at certain times. So we're going to face our troubles and stress. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Is He saying that you're never going to have trouble? I mean, wouldn't you like to have a trouble-free life? Nobody? I mean, this is Pastor R's fantasy about a trouble-free life a stress-free life. No problems, right? Right. In this world, you will have trouble, but there is a way to manage the stress. There is a way to deal with the pressure. There is a way to face the trouble. Now you're listening. What is it? Here is the antidote that Jesus gives. This is the key to all stress management. This is what he says. Believe in God, believe also in me. Trust in God, trust also in me. What I believe that Jesus is teaching is, they had trusted God in the Old Testament. There were promises that were given the people had put their trust in. Like, when I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Or like this one, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. When you pass through the waters, they will not sweep over you. When you pass through the fire, you will not be burned. So they had learned to put their trust in God. But now Jesus says, trust also in me. Rest in me, have confidence in me, bank on me, count on me. I know you won't understand. You won't understand the things that are happening in the world. You won't understand everything that's happening in your own life. You won't know why this trial has come into your life, but you have to trust the one who does understand. I know you can't see the big picture what my purposes are in this what my, my plans are but i want you to trust the one who sees everything that's what he's saying so what are the trust what are the pressures that you feel now in your life what are the stresses that you are carrying what are the worries that you have what are the fears that you deal with what are your troubles When I was a brand new pastor, you know, the work of being a pastor is you enter in deeply into people's lives toward their sanctification. And I was working with students, and many of them would share with me very heavy things. And I had learned to internalize these pressures and these problems. And Debbie's mom, who had been a pastor's wife for about 50 years, she said to me, R, how are you doing? And I said, I'm feeling stress." And she said something to me I'll never forget. She said, have you prayed about it? And I said, I've worried about it. I've stressed out about it. I've lost sleep over it, but I haven't prayed about it. God wants you to spend time with Him. He wants you to learn how to unburden yourself through prayer. And He wants you to trust Him no matter what situation you are in. There's an amazing scripture found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. This is what the Apostle Paul writes. For this reason I kneel before the Father. Notice the humility of the prayer. The posture of the prayer is kneeling before the Father. And I pray that out of God's glorious riches, He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, together with all the saints, may have power to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of God. Now, why would he pray this prayer, since Christians already know that they are loved? At one level, we as Christians know that we are loved by God, but at another level, we haven't fully experienced it. It's one thing to know the love of Christ. It's another to grasp how high and how long and how deep and how wide is the love of God. It's one thing to know something in principle. It's quite another to experience it, to appropriate it, to bring it into our inner being. Until the love of God moves from your head to your heart, it won't change who you are. It won't change how you live. But when the love of God begins to get inside your heart, it begins to change who you are. You become a manifestation of His love. You become a demonstration of His love. You become an incarnation of the love of God. You see, the love of God has moved from an intellectual understanding to an experience with God, an encounter with God. We may say that we love God, but we try to get love by pleasing people. We try to get love by performing well. We try to get love by achievements. You see, to grasp the love of God is to move beyond belief into experience. Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorites, said, There's two ways to know that honey is sweet. One way is to know with the rational mind honey is sweet. The other is to know with the sensing tongue. I mean, you can know that honey is sweet because people tell you honey is sweet, you can know that honey is sweet because you've read honey is sweet. You can know that honey is sweet because you heard a testimony of somebody who tasted honey. You can know that honey is sweet because you read an article about the benefits of honey, how good it is for your immune system. Or you can know that honey is sweet because you have tasted the love of God. (laughs) You know how sweet it is to be loved by God, to move from mentally knowing the sweetness of honey. You know, you could say when you mentally knew that honey is sweet, I know that honey is sweet. But when you taste it, you realize that you never knew what you were talking about. You see, knowing the Father and His great love, the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Part of the Spirit's witness in our life is to know the Father delights in us, <laughs> to know the Father sings over us. Do you sing over your children? You know, for all of my kids, I've got a song for them. The Father rejoices over us. He loves and accepts us. Such is the Father's love. So let me make some introductory comments about the Lord's Prayer as we're going to take this journey together and really dive into what the Lord's Prayer is all about. First, the disciples had spent three years with Jesus and saw the effects of prayer in his life. They saw his powerful prayer life. When he took those loaves and gave thanks, loaves were multiplied. When he laid hands on the sick and prayed over them, people were made well. When Jesus got up to preach, he preached with power because of his powerful prayer life. They connected the dots between prayer and God's power. Secondly, the disciples asked Jesus, this is their question, Lord, teach us to pray. You see, a baker breaks, bakes bread and a barista makes coffee and a chef makes dinner but a disciple prays. Wouldn't you like to learn how to pray, to really go deeper in prayer? Some of you here feel as if you're not good enough to pray. Some of you feel you're not very good at praying. So I just want to say that prayer is much more caught than taught. You learn to pray by praying with praying people. So, you're going to learn how to pray by praying with one another. The third is, Jesus did not give them a prayer to recite. I mean, if I launched right now into the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, which art in heaven, somebody want to jump in? Hallowed be thy name. Be thy name. So, if we did that, we probably could work our way through the prayer all together, maybe miss a part or two, but we wouldn't know what we prayed about, right? It's become sort of a liturgy that people prayed to recite. It was never Jesus' intention to create a sort of a meaningless, repetitious prayer. Fourth, Jesus gave them a model to follow. You say, how do you know that, Pastor R? Because when he gave the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, it just begins with Father. This prayer begins, our Father in heaven. Now, if Jesus were trying to give them the right words to say, He wouldn't have messed it up. I mean, He's God. He doesn't mess up. He was giving them a concept for them to follow. When you start praying, you pray to your Father. And fifth, the prayer presumes having a relationship with God. There is no access to our Father without a relationship. For as many as received Him. To those who believed on His name, He gave the right to be called the children of God. Praying is a privilege of a child of God. When we get adopted into God's family, we got brothers and sisters all around us, right? We got a seat at the table, and we have a Father in heaven to whom we can pray. He is our Father. And six, the prayer uses plural pronouns. Now that may, may not be something that you've seen before, but let me highlight for you this prayer using those plural pronouns. Here it goes: "Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, that we may also have for, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil or the evil one. And seventh, the prayer begins with praise. Before we begin the petitions, it begins with praise to God. We praise God for who He is. We honor the name of God. We treasure the person of God. Because we believe he is above. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. So you say, Pastor why would you start a prayer with praise? Well, let me try to say it to you like this. Most of the time when we're praying or we're living, we're looking at the greatness of the problem, you see? We're looking at the greatness of our financial problem. We're looking at the greatness of our medical issue. We're looking at the greatness of the strained relationship, where somebody's driving us crazy and we're praying about it, right? So what happens normally is we begin to pray about the greatness of the problem. God wants us to begin with the greatness of the person of our God. He wants us to lift our eyes up away from the problem to our Father who is in heaven. You see, my Father who is in heaven is above all things. My Father who's in heaven is over all things. My Father who's in heaven sees all things. My Father in heaven knows all things. My Father is able to help me. He sees the mess we're in down here, and he's above it all. Therefore, he can help us with our problems. No matter what we're dealing with, no matter what we're, what's up in our life, no matter what we're up against, God can help us. So it begins with praise. Okay, so you say, Pastor R., I'm not sure I know the Father. Well, Jesus gave us a parable Called the parable of the prodigal son. It's also known as the parable of the father's heart in which he's going to lay out for us what our father in heaven is like. And the first thing about that is that our father has a home. Aren't you glad? Our father is pictured as having a big house. Jesus, after he said, don't be anxious, he said, in my father's house are many rooms. There's plenty of rooms there. There's plenty of space. There's a table we'll sit down to eat. There's people who've gone before us who are there. And there's Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know, when somebody comes to your house, don't you prepare a place for them? I mean, you get all that junk off the bed and you make a place for them to sleep. I mean, you get some food they like to eat because someone's coming to your house. The first picture in the story is of our father has a home. Secondly, our father delights in his children. Now, this is exceptionally good news because you're his child and he delights in you. You know, children give me great joy and delight. My own children give me enormous joy, and I love my grandchildren very dearly. This last weekend, I happened to be in Birmingham. Alabama. That's where my son lives and his wife and two children. And so we were out, Debbie and I with um, our grandson. Debbie was sitting in the back seat, and we went to Starbucks. Now, Debbie has a very complicated order at Starbucks. It involves things like green tea and passion tea and a splash of hibiscus, and I sometimes forget what Debbie really wants, So I just kind of drove on by the window and kind of went to the back and rolled down her window so she could talk to the person, um, you know, about what she wanted. So she's making her order, and she's sitting in the left seat there, and Judah is sitting beside her, this little two-year-old with red hair, and he said, ice cream cup, please. Ice cream cup. Ice cream cup, please. I think what was happening was he was looking at the board, and he saw the frappuccino, And he saw this opportunity to ask. And he kept asking and asking and asking. Ice cream cup, please. Ice cream. Ice cream cup, please. Thank you for ice cream. (laughs) And so Judah kept asking and asking and asking. He never stopped asking. And I can tell you, his asking delighted his grandfather. See, the father delighted in his children, though they were vastly different. One wanted to stay behind and work. One wanted to get off the farm. One stressed himself out because he was a workaholic. Given their faults, the father delighted in them. And our father, number three, is good and generous. Do you ever think about how good God our father has been to you? Do you ever think about how generous God has been to you? Do you ever thank Him for His goodness and His generosity? That God has invited you to the table? That God has opened His hand to you? That God has given you abundance? Our Father is good and He's generous. But the younger son said, I want my inheritance. And the father, being good and generous, gave him his share of the estate. That's like saying, I wish you were dead. The father knew he couldn't handle money. The father surely warned him about the dangers of this world. But the father, being good and generous, sold off his property and gave to the younger son his money. Which brings me to the fourth point, that our father gives us the freedom to make choices. The father said, you are free, my son. I know you want to go off to a distant country. I know you want to go away from here. I won't constrain you. I won't make you stay. You are free to go. You're free to make choices, however you wish to make them. You're you're free to venture out on your own. You know, in life, we'll make choices about who we hang out with, about where we live, about what we do. And this son was making some horrendously bad choices. Which brings us to number five, that our father's heart aches. A good prayer to pray is, God, break my heart with the things that break your heart. The younger son made some really, really bad choices. He had a pocket full of money, so he throws caution to the wind, and he hangs out with the wrong crowd. He lives in the fast lane and does stuff he knows his father wouldn't like, and the father must have periodically heard reports about his son, about what he was up to, about what he was doing, and his father's heart ached. Did you know that Katy Perry was raised in a Christian family? Did you know that? famous singer, Katy Perry. Her mother, a strong Christian, when she left making the choices she's made, she went into a three-month depression. You know, when our kids make bad choices, it grieves the heart of the Father, and it makes our own hearts ache. She was reading through the Scriptures one day and came to Psalm 113, verse 9. And this is what the psalm says. This is the scripture that leaped off the page to Katy Perry's mother. It says, He makes the barren woman what she felt like when her daughter went astray, when she began making the choices she made, when she felt the barrenness, the emptiness, the pain of her daughter's choices. It says, He makes the barren woman a joyful woman with children. What she realized when she read that scripture was she needed to rejoice in the Lord and believe. Do you realize that the command to rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, can be exercised in the worst of human circumstances? Not rejoicing in what a person is doing, But rejoicing in God, believing God, is able to change that person's heart and bring them back to himself. You see, the daughter had gone off to a far country, but the mom was believing in prayer, believing that God had plans for her life, that God had a purpose for her life, that God had the power to draw her back to himself. And number six, our father waits and he prays. Always the toughest room to be in is the waiting room. And some of you find yourself this morning in the waiting room. Our Father is waiting, and He is praying, standing by the window, the kitchen window, looking down the path that the Son left, waiting and hoping and praying for His return. But notice number seven. Our father sees, and our father feels compassion. There in the distance is the son. He left with a nice pair of shoes on his feet, and now he's barefoot. He left with some nice clothes on, and now they've, they're threadbare. He left looking healthy and fit, but now he's lost some weight. He left smelling good, but now he smells pretty bad. So I want you to hear this. That the outward condition of the person does not decrease the compassion of our God. The outward condition of the person will never decrease the compassion, the love of God for the person. You see, when a son comes home, he comes home with a broken heart, a contrite heart. He says, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice what the father doesn't do. He doesn't begin to wag his finger and say, now you're going to get it. He doesn't say, and you know what you put me through? You should feel shame and embarrassment. Rather, the father sees the condition of the son and he feels compassion for him. Which brings me to number eight, that our father runs to us. If we will begin to walk toward God, God will run to us. If we come broken, God will heal us. If we come contrite, God will forgive us. If we come repentant, the Lord will accept us. This is your God, and He's running towards you. You see, we're beginning those steps in His direction, and God begins to run towards us. And our Father bestows grace upon us. Grace is God's undeserved favor, God giving us what we don't deserve. You see, what's most true of me is I am completely undeserving of God's grace. But what is true of God is that God gives grace to the undeserving, <laughs> that God bestows grace upon his children who've fallen. And our father celebrates, number 10. Our father gives orders for there to be a celebration that God is willing to throw a party for you to serve up some barbecue. Now, if I had been that cow, the fattened calf, I may want to hang something around my throat like eat more chicken. (laughs) Especially for your celebrations, God, like when you begin to celebrate but God wants to make some music and dance. He wants to celebrate His children who are back are in right relation, being restored back to Him. He wants to give you full access to Himself, a confidence in His presence that you can come anytime, place into the Father's presence and tell Him how it is. That means the Father invites us to come. The Father's heart is happy when the son who was lost is now found, when the son who is dead is made alive. You know, you may be asking, how do I kind of jumpstart my prayer life? I've been busy. Life's been asking a lot of me. I've been going hard at school or at work. How would I begin to pray? Well, real easy is, you begin to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Set apart is your name. Holy is your name. Treasured is your name. The name of God being set apart. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. Another very easy step for you to take would be this prayer found in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 14. In just a moment, we're actually going to pray this prayer together. I'm not going to ask you to turn to your neighbor. I'm just going to have a moment with you and the Father, okay? The Father wants to have a moment with you. He wants you to bring something to Him. So let's look at the prayer and see how this prayer goes. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. The posture of the heart is to humble ourselves before God. And here is the prayer. I pray God that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Instead of the word you, I want you to insert somebody's name. You don't have to pray this out loud, but I want you to ask the spirit now to give you a name of someone to pray whom you believe needs to be strengthened with the power of God. I want you now to strengthen them, God, in their innermost being so that Christ may dwell in this person's heart through faith, okay? So what's going to happen now is I'm going to read this prayer, this prayer that's found in the Bible, a prayer you can find tonight or tomorrow, and pray this prayer back to God. This is what Jesus did, you see. Jesus simply prayed Scripture back to God. So, one of the ways we learn to pray is by praying the prayers of Scripture, okay? So, here we go. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, and I pray out of His glorious riches, He may strengthen the name of the person with power through His Spirit in the name of the person's innermost being, so that Christ may dwell the name of the person, in their heart, through faith. Did you do it? And so you learn to pray by praying. You learn to pray to a good, good father who really wants to hear from his children. He wants you to have time with him. He wants you to trust him no matter what's up in your life, no matter what you're up against, He wants you to learn to pray, to live a life in dependence of Him. Would you stand with us as we sing back, Your Good, Good Father.